0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm Assistant Sports Editor Mark Faulkner here at home for the first time during our 23 podcast, for the first time since the virus COVID 19 changed just about everything for everyone. I'm joined now by our Red Wings beat reporter, Ted Colfin, who is also at home and like a lot of us, safe and sound and trying to support those around us. Ted, how how are you doing?
1: I'm doing good, Mark. I hope you're doing the same. Yeah, it's a new normal, isn't it? Very, very strange. Very. Who knew that a few weeks ago we'd be doing this right now at in our present locations very strange
0: yeah just doing the the best as can be expected you know we're recording this podcast on friday april the 3rd one day before the regular season was supposed to end on a saturday game against the tampa bay lightning at little caesar's arena hard to believe isn't it ted feels
1: like it's a million miles away from that game against carolina the last one that the wings played It's only on a calendar, it's only three weeks or so, but it feels like a million, million miles away. Just, I don't know, time's been crawling, basically.
0: You know, Ted, if there was no pandemic, and if the playoffs were about to begin next week, you would be getting ready for the Monday or Tuesday clear-out, which has been happening a little more frequently now in Detroit. This would be four straight years without the playoffs. And players like Dylan Larkin, Anthony Mantha, Philip Pironik would be off to Switzerland for the Worlds, and Jeff Blaschel, who usually coaches that team, would have been completing exit interviews. When you look back, Ted, if there was one thing that kind of went wrong as we were heading to this final game, what would be the one thing that you think really went off the rails?
1: Oh, Mark, there were so many, but Mm -hmm. just so many – Career low, career worst performances, I guess you could say. I mean, there, I mean, there are still quite a few veterans on this roster, and I think they were counting on those veterans to have a decent season at least, a uh, respectable season, provide some sort of
0: just
1: mm-hmm. to this lineup. But so many people brought, just had, t- frankly, terrible seasons. I mean, statistically, and the injuries mounted, uh it just in a world in a word it was a perfect storm in one sense just everything that could go wrong did and they didn't have the depth to overcome it and just the lack overall lack of talent it just all came to roost and that's why they had the NHL's worst record by far.
0: Ted, in uh, Saturday's paper, you ran seven stats that really illustrates where the Red Wings ranked uh, among the 31 teams. The record, of course, you just mentioned, 31st. Goal differential, minus 122, that was 31st. Goals for was last, goals against, last. Power play, 29th. Penalty kill, last, 31st. Shots per game, only 27 per game. That ranked 31st as well. So, who can you blame for one of the worst seasons since the Wings really became the Red Wings back in 1932-33? Ken Holland, Steve Eisenman, Jeff Blaschel, his staff, the players, all of the above. I'm pretty what? sure.
1: All of the above. All of the sure. above. Let's, let's put it this way. those Some of those contracts that Kenny Holland signed, it all kind of came to roost a little bit here this mm-hmm. year. People like. Jonathan Erickson, Trevor Daly, Mike Green before he was traded. I mean, all veteran defensemen that didn't have very good seasons at all. And They were injury plagued. Justin Abdelkader and Franz Nielsen also long term deals. Neither of them had a good year at all. That was a contributing factor, one of the contributing factors. But goodness gracious, I mean, just the way this roster was, you know, came, came to be comprised and it's Iserman and Holland, and mm-hmm. it, it just didn't mesh it. I wasn't it, it, it wasn't expected to be a playoff roster, and it certainly proved to be that.
0: Ted, let's take a look at one player uh, you mentioned in uh, your most recent story online Friday and in Saturday's paper, goaltender Jimmy Howard. Did he play his final game in his career? He turned 36 last week, a 14-year NHL veteran, you mentioned his 2 23 and 2 record, a 4.20 goals against average, and only a point eight eight two save percentage. You mentioned the team defense wasn't very good in front of Jimmy Howard, but you also said he didn't make a lot of key saves.
1: Well, I'd be awfully surprised. I mean, I don't want to say shocked. I'm never shocked about anything anymore, but I'd be awfully, awfully surprised if he – would be re signed. I, I think they're definitely going to go in a di- different direction and mm-hmm. there would be free agent goalies available. Now, whether Jimmy Howard's played his last game in the NHL, I still wouldn't be totally surprised if somebody gives him a look see in training camp somewhere next year and play a better team with maybe, a, you know, just a summer to clear his mind and work on some things. Yeah, maybe he can recapture some of his old form, but. I I think we've seen the last of him in a Wings uniform. Like I said, I'd be awfully, awfully surprised.
0: And what do you make of his career, Ted? I've got some stats here. 14 years, 2.62 goals against average, a really good save percentage, 0.912. 50 games over 500 during that time. And in the playoffs, only 47 games, five games under 500. But his stats actually improved upon his regular season, a 2.58 goals against average. In a point nine one eight save percentage, what do you make of uh, Jimmy Howard's career up to this point in Detroit? I think he's had a
1: very underrated career. I think mm-hmm. he was a, he was kind of a whipping boy for a lot of fans, especially when social media has began to take off. But I think he's provided the Red Wings with some very solid goaltending over the years, and it's not, he's not going to be. When you look at his top form, he's not going to be easily replaced. Uh, he was a very. He played a lot of games. So he enjoyed the heavy workload, and I, I can remember he's that he actually had a couple of very good playoff series. I I think he's going to be very well remembered, very well thought of in in the future here as a, in his career.
0: Time now for our uh, interview segment. Today's guests are the Haydukes, Milan Hayduk, the former Avalanche forward who was a thorn in the side of the Red Wings during that heated rivalry, as well as his son, 16-year-old Merrick, who was selected last week to join the two-year USA Hockey National Team development program in Plymouth. We're joined now by Milan Hadouk, a Stanley Cup champion with the Colorado Avalanche in 2001, a 14-year NHL veteran who scored 375 goals in the regular season, the Rocket Richard Trophy winner, with 50 goals in 2003, 34 more goals in the playoffs, a former captain of the Avs who retired in 2013, and now whose 16-year-old son, Merrick, will be coming to Michigan to play for the under-17 national team development program this year in Plymouth. Milan and Merrick, welcome to the podcast. How are you guys doing right now in this day and age with the uh, coronavirus?
2: Uh, well, we're just keeping up. Uh, we're uh, doing everything we can, staying healthy, staying inside, and uh, just staying at home.
0: Just staying at home, absolutely. Yeah. Merrick, what was your reaction when you found out that you were selected, one of 23 players, to uh, to join this rather elite program uh, with USA Hockey?
2: Uh, I was absolutely ecstatic, super excited, uh, Obviously, it's a great opportunity, and I'm just really excited to go there in August.
0: yeah, it's not until August when things will start uh getting back to normal and school almost certainly will be starting up again. What's your schedule going to be like uh between now merrick and and the and the beginning of uh, of school
2: uh well, currently right now uh, I'm doing online school because uh everything's shut down um uh, but uh, we'll see how the rest of the year uh Turns out I might be going back to school. But uh, then uh, if if the coronavirus, if it gets better, hopefully we'll go back to the Czech Republic for the summer. And then uh, after that, we'll go to Michigan and start the season.
0: Milan, how about your reaction? Uh, You've been coaching your sons, uh, Merrick and David, for the past few years with the Colorado Thunderbirds. Uh, What was your reaction when you found out that uh, Merrick uh, made this uh, made this team here in Plymouth.
3: Well, I'm really really excited, like uh, myself and and the whole, actually whole family. Uh, you know, my wife and, and even his brother David. Everybody's really excited. Uh, so he's got the opp- opportunity to play uh, for uh, for the U.S. national team. Uh, we knew that he was on the radar for you know they're they're actually watching mm-hmm. watching a lot of players and then Marek was on the radar for the last couple of years and then uh, and over the course of this season we are uh, we're we're seeing the you know uh, uh, national team development uh scouts and, and and talk to their people and uh for a while this year so so we knew he's on the radar but we didn't know you know how close he is and and and, and what's really going to happen and uh and when the announcement uh came out uh uh, it was so you know we were really really excited
0: now, Milan, are there any programs like this in the Czech Republic? How about this u s a hockey program you 've essentially uh grown up or or played in the United states and and you 're now coaching in the system but but this seems to be a a program for the past twenty twenty five years. That as try to put the best talent in one area down the road in Ann Arbor and in Plymouth.
3: Yeah, I think it's a phenomenal program. Uh, it, it, like you mentioned, it's, it's been around for a while. It's over the uh, over the past years, they produce uh, tons of uh, really good hockey players, and it's not just the hockey players. They kind of uh, try to develop the uh, players and as a persons that kind of well round people, and uh, they, I think they do a phenomenal job. Uh, if you if you look at the past success they they have had. Uh you know, we uh obviously the, the, the their basically their Olympics is uh the U eighteen uh U eighteen under World Championship and they've been really successful. And if you look at the last year uh NHL draft, uh, uh, I think they had, you know, seven, eight players in the first round or top fifteen uh drafted. Uh it, it was it's impressive. So obviously they they uh it's a it's a great concept to put uh you know, best uh, best players out of uh, each each uh, birth year together and, and keep them for two years and and uh, uh, I can't even imagine like how how uh, the quality of the practices and and everything they're pushing each other and and and, and getting better. Uh, so, uh, like you mentioned, I grew up in Czech Republic. We uh, we uh there they like I was part of U16, U17, U18 uh, Czech national team, but we didn't stay mm-hmm. together. It was just throughout the year. Uh, you got invited to some events, but. Normally you stay with your club and uh, like, I, I think that's probably how it is anywhere in the world. But, but, uh, but this program, which uh, I think it's, it's, it's a phenomenal program.
0: Merrick, can you, um, can you tell me a bit about what it was like first being coached by your father, you and your twin brother, Dave, uh, you guys are growing up in the Colorado area. Um, we've spoken to a number of fathers, NHL fathers, including Jeff Sanderson, whose son, Jake is a, top prospect for the NHL draft, as well as um, Ryder Rolston, who's whose dad played for the New Jersey Devils and was a teammate of Dave Clarkson, uh, who is uh, one of your coaches uh this past year. But can you tell me, do you remember much about when your dad said, Hey, I'm gonna start showing you guys how to play the game?
2: Uh I think uh it kind of went like uh one day we just went to the ice rink just to just to have some fun there uh and it just gradually went from there and I started liking it way more and more as uh, time progressed. Um, And obviously knowing my dad was playing in the NHL helped me a lot. Uh, I could just, you know, look to him. I watched his games. It was true inspiration. And Mm -hmm. uh, every step of the way, just really benefited me and just made me enjoy the game way more and more as time progressed. And uh, it just kind of kick-started from there.
0: You know, Merrick, I asked uh, Jake Sanderson and Ryder Rolston if there were any negatives uh, extra pressure, being the son of, a, of a, a rather successful NHL player. And they said, no, not really, Mark, that there were many, many uh, positives. And and I even asked Seth Appert that uh, today, who will be your coach with the under-17 team here um, in Michigan. And he said that he thought that sons of players, I don't know what you think about this, maybe have a better, a higher understanding of what it takes because they saw their parents go go through all of these things. What, what are your thoughts about that, Merrick? Uh, absolutely. I think
2: that it's uh, completely true because I'm watching my dad play in the NHL, seeing the work he's putting in at home, the work he's putting in at the rink. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's truly inspiring. Uh, but I also think that, uh, back to the negatives question, is, I think there aren't very many, as you stated, but uh, there's maybe a little bit more pressure, but obviously the positives outweigh the negatives way more.
0: How do you think you and David handled uh, that pressure? Would that just be um, from within, from teammates? Um, how did you and your brother handle that growing up?
2: Uh, I mean, I think the pressure came from just a little bit from everywhere. But uh, I think me and David, we handled it pretty well. We, uh, we just kept working. We had fun playing the game and uh, just, just carried, carried on through our lives and uh, just learned how to take care of it.
0: I mean, we've seen photos of you and Dave at your dad's uh, retirement ceremony when number 23 went up into the rafters. Um, do you recall uh, watching your dad play and, and playing with the Sackicks and the Forsbergs and Adam Foote and players like that?
2: Uh, I mean, I can recall very little. Uh, I remember going to the games, but obviously I didn't, I was little. I didn't understand much about it. Uh, I wish I understood more because it was just a cool opportunity to watch my dad, but uh, I didn't, I uh, the few games I do remember were absolutely amazing, though, and uh, I
0: wish I remembered more. <laughs> um, Milan, could you talk a little bit about maybe maybe the hesitation at first, perhaps of of coaching your sons at you know eleven or twelve at that age? I know when Jeff Sanderson said, on one hand, he wanted to teach his uh, his sons the proper way to skate to, you know, to work on your edges and skating backwards. But he also didn't want to be one of those parents that, uh, that raise their voices. And everyone I've talked to said, that's not who you are. It's not the way you play. That's not the way you teach, not the way you coach. But I just wonder what your thoughts were. Like, did you have any hesitation? Should I be teaching my own sons? Well, uh, I mean, everything
3: basically started still, like when I was still playing yeah, uh, obviously. I mean, you, you. I brought my boys to the locker room, to the NHL locker room, quite mm-hmm. often on the days off, and and and, and whatever. We have some uh, fun optional practices and stuff like that. So they they got the taste of the atmosphere and how it's like to be a pro. Uh, so they they probably. I mean, it, it looked like they didn't have another choice than be a hockey player, really. But you know, obviously they did. But like, it's just when they when they spent so much time around hockey, around the rinks then it's kind of uh seems like it's a seamless choice to uh, uh go with hockey for mm-hmm. me I uh, start coaching uh, uh even i remember i started coaching uh, the first uh when we had a half season lock. 2012 2013 season it was i think it was like a half season and uh that already i was involved boys played in in youth hockey and i started kind of being involved and, and instead of being a normal parent being in the in the stands uh i think it's probably especially the guys that, um, you know, ex-NHL players or ex-pro players, they have something to offer. You want to you wanna help out, be on the bench. That's how I started as an assistant coach, just being kind of uh, helping, out, uh, helping out on the bench. And, and then over the years, then I retired. And over the years, also, I had more time. And I, uh, mm.
0: uh,
3: I started to be more serious about it and, then, and became a head coach.
0: Milan, what are some of your philosophies behind uh, uh, teaching players? On one hand, you're teaching them how to skate, how to play. Uh, David Clarkson, who again coached your son this past season, a former NHLer with the Leafs and Columbus Blue Jackets, he said that um, uh, there's less emphasis on position, not maybe not positional play, but more freedom, puck possession, uh, more enjoyment skating. Are there some are there some philosophies or things that you feel very strongly about that you're teaching your children and the players on the Colorado Thunderbirds?
3: Yeah, like uh, I think my my philosophy, especially in a younger age, obviously skating is as the number one thing. Uh, what is important in today's hockey? If you really if you don't skate well, you probably won't have any chance. But other things is uh, uh, you know teaching skills and let them give them some freedom to uh, to make the right decisions. Uh, uh, to give them the options what the options are in, in any situations in, in hockey and then and, and, you know I think to get get the most skills uh, into them as possible uh, other than like you mentioned position play or or defensive style of play uh, I think that's I think that could be teached later in their careers but like uh, my philosophy is always get get the most skills into them and, and be uh, you know be creative uh, and then you know uh the structure and being defensive i you know i don't think that's a whole lot of skills it's it's more more commitment that uh uh at, at least this is i've been taught like growing up growing up in europe and uh and uh that, that i believe that you know get get the most skills in a young age what you, the most you can and then then other things will uh will be easier to pick up
0: milan what skills do you uh, see in Merrick? Um, and Dave, uh, again, it's difficult. You're, you're their father. And, but, but as far as from hockey skills, like what, what have you seen in both of them that, that, uh, has really impressed you, um, as, as, as you've been coaching them?
3: Well, I mean, I think, uh, uh, both of them are, they're a little bit, uh, you know, they're different, different personalities playing different position. David is a defenseman. he's, he is, a, he he's more, more physical, more, uh, you know, more, uh, more up in in the face of players because the the position he plays, Marek is uh, uh, a little bit more skilled. He's got uh, more speed. He you know he can finish. I think he sees the ice as well and uh, mm-hmm. can, can make plays. So they're they're just they're just different. Uh, maybe David you know David's got uh, maybe a little bit uh, heavier shot. I don't know. It, it's questionable. Marek would probably argue with that, but uh, <laughs> you know it, it's uh, bo- both uh, both both. Uh, uh, you know, work hard, and the work you think is good. So that's that's really important to me,
0: Merrick. Um, on the subject of skills and things you've learned, um, where do you think your game has improved, speed wise, skill wise?
2: Uh, I think uh, in the past few years, uh, the area that I've improved the most was my shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been working on that a lot. Uh, working out, uh, gaining strength in the shot, and uh. I've seen some results. I you noticed know, I, I can uh, score from further out now. The shot is heavier, more accurate, and uh, that's probably the, the skill that I've improved the most in the past couple of years.
0: Milan, can you talk a bit about that unique aspect of the home, about an indoor rink, a Zamboni? For most of us, um, I asked Seth uh, Appert, have you heard of other uh, people putting a rink inside their home? And he said, yeah, it's happened before. Um, can you tell me you know, what your idea was when you first did it? and some of the details about that rink. Uh,
3: well, we, uh, basically uh, kind of, uh, you know, I, for, first time I've seen it was with, uh, um, Adam foot, Adam foot built a uh, one actually was outdoor one here in, the in the Cherry Hills area in, in Denver. Mm. Uh, because his, his both boys played hockey too. Uh, actually, uh, the person who built our house, he had one, he had exactly, uh, same one in, in his house down, uh, about you know you know twenty minutes from our house, so that's I've I've seen like it it could be done, and uh, obviously uh, both boys in you know that time in playing you know being you you hockey and, and and playing hockey, we thought it could be a good idea to uh, build something like that for you know I like hockey, they like hockey, so something to uh, uh, have another facility we can utilize. I mean, I, and I gotta mention like it's not it's not a full size rink; it's uh it's about size of the neutral zone. Uh, it's not uh you know uh it's not a you know massive size of rent but uh obviously something that uh boys use over the over the over the you know over the years and uh, they enjoy to go there.
0: How often would the boys uh use it like in, in the past? It was a little bit harder during the during the uh weekdays when
3: they have school and we have team practices, weekends or holidays, Christmas, uh, times like that. Uh you know, now obviously we can you can leave house really right, because we have a stay at home order here in Colorado, so uh because of coronavirus, so uh, everyone is stuck at home, so now it's used more than than in the past and stuff like that so uh uh you know it's over the years, I would say it 's been used quite a bit
0: Merrick, what are your thoughts about having that rink there? Uh, would it be something you and your brother could go out and just uh, uh practice passing and shooting.
2: Uh we were over the years we were on it uh, quite often just practicing shooting, uh passing like you mentioned, uh skating even and uh you know, inviting friends over, uh just utilizing and having fun and enjoying hockey
3: on the rink.
0: Milan, are you glad that you built the rink in, in hindsight? Is that something that you look back and say, Yeah, that was that was a decent idea?
3: Yeah, I mean yeah, I think I think it was it was a good idea. Obviously like we were not uh, we, when we were building Italy, it was, it was more for like, okay, let's have fun with this. Uh, boys play hockey, they like hockey, and uh, we didn't have anything in mind that, okay, it's going to lead to whatever, something down the road. But uh, obviously, it probably didn't hurt, right? Like you had, you know, extra time on the ice, and then especially like fun time, it, it's not really that much ever like structured. And because like, like how I grew up, we used to uh, – uh, I, I grew up in, a, in a, like apartment buildings, and we had there was like a, ten, uh, a hard surface tennis court uh, in, in between the apartment buildings, and we used to flood it in the, in the winter and, and skate there. So uh, I think the whole idea why we build this ring here, it's kind of something like what kids in uh, Minnesota or, or in mm-hmm. Michigan they can they can use it and skate on the ponds, and uh, and here in Colorado. I mean, in the mountains it's cold, but like in the city, it's not as cold that you can really uh, use uh, uh, and skate on the ponds that much. Uh, so, this was kind of like something have it in your backyard, really. Something uh, similar to what uh, kids in Minnesota have. Uh, every winter
0: milan and merrick thanks for your time so far But we couldn't really wrap up unless merrick we got to talk to your dad just for a little bit about the uh the rivalry which you probably you know watched on video and the red wings and avalanche just to give you an overview uh merrick that, that from 1996 before your dad joined the team to 2002 that's seven years the wings and the abs won five cups in seven years and and I really want to, uh, Milan, go back to your first year, 1998-99. Uh, you guys beat the Red Wings in the conference final, four games to two. Uh, Detroit won the first two games. My question to you, though, is what was it like joining that rivalry? Yeah, these are all
3: uh, the the good old days, but uh, there was actually no no salary cap, and and uh, before every season, you probably you know, could name, I don't know, six, seven teams that actually had a realistic chance to win the cup. The others uh, were not heavy favorites, right? It was a different, different times. And, and, and uh, the rivalry against Red Wings, uh, you know, it was, it was phenomenal. Like I, uh, I learned very quickly in my first year that games against Red Wings are no ordinary, ordinary. <laughs> they're, they're a little different than uh, the other opponents you had in the league. Uh because obviously the the, the history already uh, uh, before I get got to the team and and uh, you know they had already a couple tough uh, playoff series behind them with with the fights and uh, and and you know every time we play Red Wings it, it was just like a holiday here in, in Denver because the, the fans got into it everyone expect something uh, something more than just a regular hockey game and and everything obviously in, in playoffs everything kind of. Uh, graduates and, and the intensity is up and then uh, playing these guys year after year in a, in a, in a, in a playoffs and even regular games were just it was a treat.
0: You know, Milan, uh, Darren McCarty said, you guys pushed each other to be your best and there would be some slugfest back and forth. And Joel Quenville, one of your assistant coaches said it was where he learned the importance of a shift and the meaning of a shift in high intensity games What was it like um, playing in those series? Uh, The first two years, again, the Avalanche, with you on the team, they met Detroit in the conference semifinal. In 99, you beat them 4-2. And in 2000, you beat them 4-1. The following year, you won the Cup. So certainly, uh, your team was learning lessons too about the importance of shifts and and winning game six on the road and those kind of things.
3: Right, like uh, you you learn quickly that... uh Especially in these, uh, you know, tough, tight playoff series, like every every shift matters, and just it comes to little details, bounces here and there, winning, uh, winning little battles. It's these all these cliches that, that everyone's talking about. It they're actually true. Like in these tight tight situations, uh, you know, the, the series, the momentum of the series can shift quickly from one side to another. Uh, in a matter of seconds, you know bad decision, bad mistake here and there and uh and also other team has momentum, fans get into it, and then it's it's a it 's a different ball game, so uh you learn how uh how
0: mm-hmm. to
3: deal with these situations
0: now, the big names were Iserman and Fetteroff against Forsberg and Sackick and foot and Lidstrom, and uh, Hoshik, and Osgood, and Patrick Waugh. Did you, though, go up against the grind line with McCarty, Draper, and Mulpy? Was that a line that was on you a lot, or did you have certain lines that matched up against you? Well, I mean, it depends. Some
3: uh, some games, so
0: I was usually on the line with uh,
3: Joe and Alex Dange, or uh, uh, or. Peter Forsberg and Alex Tang and even some with Chris Drury and, and uh, so uh, I think coaches can try to match it. Sometimes we play against the top, you know, Iserman's line. Sometimes we play against against McCarty's lines. Uh, mm-hmm. it, de- it depends how uh, how the coaches feel like this is going to be the right matchup for uh, for the for the for the game. And it, and it obviously it changes uh, it changes uh, when you were playing at home or on the road if you had a last change and then. Actually, uh, coaches can can do some adjustments.
0: Milan, what uh, what impressed you most about those Red Wing teams? It was, it was two teams almost virtually uh, evenly matched. But what was it about the Red Wings that you really respected?
3: Well, I mean, uh, uh, you know, the, the the compete level. Not only they had the skills, but the compete level and then the longevity they had. I mean, they had what twenty five, twenty six years of uh, of. Uh, you know playoff appearances. That's uh, I think it never been matched, in, I think any sports really, right? That's uh, that means even they went through some rebuilding uh, stages, and they they done it well. Uh, they just struggled recently, but uh, all these years before they were uh, phenomenal, and yeah, all the talent they they were getting the top talent like we did on the on the trading deadline. They usually traded for for really good players that they could. Uh, uh, you know, help them in the playoffs and win the cup. And, uh, you know, uh, like I mentioned, this, this was the era with, uh, no salary cap. So the, you know, the, you know, the, the payrolls were high for both teams and the teams were spending money and it was a little bit different era.
0: Any final thoughts, uh, Milan and Merrick about, about this journey that you guys are on and, and, uh, me, Milan, you're still going to be coaching back in Colorado when your, your son is here. And, uh, you know David might be on your team this year, so maybe you guys could just wrap it up about your thoughts about where you're at now and and you know heading into the upcoming season
3: well I mean really i'm uh, like I mentioned myself and and the whole family're really excited for Merrick to uh, to uh, to have the opportunity to go to Detroit and play for the national team development program obviously it's gonna it's gonna change the dynamic of the family a little bit that Merrick's gonna be in Detroit and more likely'll we'll, uh' we'll, uh probably rent some place there and, and, and um, one of the family members, either my wife or, or myself, will be there. We'll kind of rotate there and when, when I'll be here in Colorado, I'll be helping out coaching with David Clarkson. So he's going to change a little bit uh, things in, in our family, but we're really excited. This is a great opportunity for, for Marek and, uh, and he can make you know, some step forwards to, to his uh, ultimate goal.
0: Yeah. And how about you, Merrick? Uh,
3: yeah, uh, absolutely. Very, very excited uh, for the opportunity.
2: Uh, can't, can't wait. Um, just hopefully the, the coronavirus uh, it dies down and we can uh, start the season uh, full strength, uh, uh, everything on time. Uh, and I'm uh, just su- super excited and I uh, can't wait for the opportunity.
0: Milan and Merrick, thank you so much for your time today and thanks again for being a part of our podcast.
1: Thanks, Mark. Yeah. Thank you. Ted, what do you remember
0: about Milan hayduk and those playoff series?
1: Well those early 2000 teams, there's a lot of talent still in both those organizations. Uh, a couple of those series were outstanding series. Uh, just talent-laden teams. Haddock was a sniper, great goal scorer. I mean, you could look at his career. I mean, he was very underrated career. Uh, part of some, yes, part of some awesome lines and awesome offensive powerhouse teams over there in Denver.
0: And finally, Ted, uh, we're here in early April and cities like Toronto, and you just mentioned Calgary, you told me. They've also banned any public events until June 30th. Every state, of course, is waiting for medical experts to determine when games won't pose a risk to the health of players, the staff, the fans. What do you make of the time frame going forward? Uh, we're in for the long haul, aren't we? Yeah,
1: I think the runway just becomes that much shorter every day. I mean, I don't see I will say well, I think they are intent on make and having a playoffs but just because of the financial ramifications of it. If they don't they're losing a lot of money here. I think we are going They're gonna do make every darn effort they can to have a playoff. But again, just the. I mean, I'd be shocked at this point. There's no way we're gonna complete those eleven or so regular season games. There just isn't time, and I don't think there's an appetite for it. I think there is gonna be some sort of playoff tournament. Mm-hmm. Maybe it will back into September or whatnot. Hopefully not October, but maybe it will. Who knows? But tell you what, that still seems so far away at this point. I mean, with all the hurdles they have to overcome, it's going to be difficult.
0: And that'll do it for uh, episode 23. Look for Ted's coverage next week online at DetroitNews.com and in the paper. Until then, stay safe, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Take care, Ted.
1: You too, Mark.